this driver it's driving a, a truck. It's a, it's a big yeah, truck. Yeah, yeah. Comes comes by and he's just like, "Hey," Teen kind of you know doesn't even look and goes, "Yeah, you're right in the middle of the yeah." <laughs> the truck goes, and goes "Okay, <laughs> all right." <laughs> <laughs> Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone. And thank you for tuning back in. We are your hosts. I'm Nick. Filling in for Kyle, I am Seth. And I'm John. And this is the Genesius Podcast, where a few Catholic dudes talk about movies. How's it going, guys? It's going pretty good. We actually, yeah. with this one, we were doing something a little different. We watched the movie just earlier this afternoon. We mm-hmm. did. We took a break to go get dinner. And we are now jumping straight into recording. So we're kind of fresh on this movie a little bit. This is uh, this is somewhat different from our norm. Yeah. 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 How does it feel watching the movie with us this time? I think we need to do that more often. I agree. Yeah. I think it was a lot of fun. It was, it was so much fun. I, I can't wait till we get to the movies that none of us have seen and we can all just react to it together. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be a great time. We could probably make a separate video cast out of watching these movies. Honestly, we, we People should do it like, yeah, like reaction videos. I wouldn't go that. I don't want to call it a reaction video. I love reaction videos. dude. react. Oh, here's the thing. I, I must admit they are a necessary evil because sometimes you see things that are so hype. You want to see other people get hyped to them so that you can get hype again with them. Yeah. Like you, you want yeah, to, you're like re-experiencing it. You want yeah. that euphoria again. And uh, so I've definitely gone and watched like, okay, for like Luke showing up at the end of Amanda season two, spoiler. Um, <laughs> like I've gone and watched reaction videos and just seen people freak out again. I've seen people cry at that moment yeah again it's beautiful yeah it, it, it's it's incredible to like see all these other reactions so reaction videos a necessary evil however i think if you make your living doing reaction content i'm sorry i don't understand how that's valid i really don't i think you just need to watch more reaction videos because i do follow i do follow a youtube channel where they primarily do reaction videos and it's like many many highlights of my week well and this is why is it like just the humor of it or is it like because of the different people that are reacting to it it's It's like sometimes it's like based on their experience all of it like all of the above it's just like it's like especially when it's stuff i've watched and then watching those guys react to it like sometimes i'll catch up on jokes i didn't catch when i was watching the episode or they'll point Uh, stuff out and it's like and sometimes they'll react more than I did do a certain thing. And I'm just like, I kind of love this even more now because of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think there are always going to be people that Seth that is react. giving me somewhat of a disapproving look. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's I'll very just low bar. Here's apparently the thing. I went, I went and saw star Wars, the rise of Skywalker with my best friends from call co- two of my best friends from college. Cause there's, there's like a couple more in the mix. Well, that um, was a movie and yeah. And uh, my brother, we all went to the theater. We sat, four in a row next to each other in the recliners. And we, we watched this thing and my brother and I, I will say watching it with him, incredible, right? He like, he and I both lost our minds at the same point in the film. 
Um, but we were both just like I feel laughing. Like I, at I feel like I know what you're about to say. You want to guess? Is it the Raylo kiss? It's the Raylo kiss. <laughs> <laughs> like we were, we were laughing. So yeah, apparently, this is just all filled with spoilers. Just so well, people, it's yeah. a movie podcast. What I know. Expect? <laughs> yeah, we we were we were kind of chuckling throughout the movie, and and the whole the whole movie was a game of like I would say they're not going to do this, they're not going to do it, and mm-hmm. then they do it, um, and then that happened. I'm like, there's no way they would full send trying to like make us believe in this thing that's happening. And then they did it. And my brother and I were just wordlessly bellowing with laughter (laughs) in this theater, like trying so hard not to actually utter a sound. And we walked out and I asked my my two college friends, um, Daniel and Kalen, shout out. Um, And they were like into it. And, uh, you know, they were just like, oh, it was so good and whatever. And they were like, you know, they had their own reactions. So people are going to react how they're going to react. Um, and it's great if you want to find other people who are reacting to it in the same way as you on the Internet. I guess you can. But well, the reaction videos I watch also have like discussion afterward. Mm-hmm. I do enjoy that. To me, then I would rather it. I would rather it just be what we're doing right here. A podcast. Mm-hmm. Right. Because mm-hmm. that's that's actual in a sense, original content. Like if I want to watch a laugh track, I'm going to put a laugh track over it or I'm going to like dial it on in like the DVD special features thing. Right. Have you ever gotten like a a season of a TV show on DVD and you can turn on or off the laugh track? No, I didn't know that was a thing. I had so I had season one of the uh, MASH TV series. And you could actually turn on and off the laugh track. Psych needs, psych <laughs> needs that. Yeah. So, well, actually, so what, no, was it no, a different it. experience without the laugh track? Like, was were things not as funny? Or that's a good question. And that, and we'd have to dive into like the psycho, the psychological part around you know laugh tracks informing an audience of when something is funny or whatever. Um, and obviously, they took it a step further with filming things in front of an actual like yeah. audience. Mm-hmm. Um, which to me is is really amusing in itself because you have to be willing to sit through a whole day of production just I mean, to Wanda, do this. Wandavision did that uh, for their first two for their first couple episodes. Yeah, because like, they really had a live studio audience. Mm-hmm. It was wow. Really, yeah, well, like, if, if you watch if you watch the Disney Gallery behind the scenes, they they will show like they had like an actual like sitcom style studio, and they had like I think they had people who like signed up to watch WandaVision, those two episodes of WandaVision live. Wow. And like, so the people that you hear laughing in the background, they're is, legit. It's legit. It's wow. really cool. Is it a live studio audience or is it a live audience screening? It's a live studio audience. Wow. Well, it's the, pretty the amazing. Is, regardless of what you think of how the show went, they did go like all out in trying to reenact different types of sitcoms. See, Marvel Studios is really good at like if they want to do a certain thing they like try to go as all out as they can and that's pretty incredible to an extent at least well this is why i'm actually rather shocked about how disney has handled lucasfilm because whether whether or not you like the movies you can't say that lucasfilm has been as smooth as marvel's efforts oh mm, not by a long shot no way um like like on my personal opinion i think they've done a terrible job for the most part some people think they've done just fine but you can't look at the whole story of disney star wars and say yeah 100 percent went really smooth in the same way that like the mcu has just figured out time after time how to do things a little differently bring in the right person whether it's taika waititi for thor and thor ragnarok or the um the russo brothers for 
uh, Captain America Winter Soldier, right? They mm-hmm. always know how to bring in that person that adds a spin to it. And while, yes, they have to confine it to the broader canon, they let these directors really do what they want to do with the show. Um, at least it seems that way. I think another big thing, too, that the MCU does very well at Lucasfilm does not is Marvel plans their stuff at least two or three years in advance. Like mm-hmm. they know what where they want the story to go. They know what they want to do with all our characters and they figure out very early on how everything connects Lucasfilm and the sequel trilogy is perfect evidence of this. They'll announce stuff and 50% of the time they'll actually go through with it. Yeah. Mm. Well, and because well, they, well, they don't know it, where they want the franchise to go. Yeah. Well, and if it says anything like they don't necessarily have to have super continuity with like, they let James Gunn just go wild with Guardians of the Galaxy. Like that was, I don't think that was something and, that they were like, this must fit into like a very specific box. And Sam and yeah. Sam Raimi in the latest Doctor Strange movie, like I was really surprised how much creative control he actually got in that mm-hmm. project because of all the stuff that was in it. It's like, like I remember my first time watching it. I'm just like, I had at least four or five times where I was sitting there. I'm just like, did they really just go there? Mm-hmm. They did. And I dug it. I'm not going to lie. I really dug it. <laughs> you know, it, it was interesting because it, it in the first 10 minutes of of Multiverse of Madness, I knew what kind of movie I was watching. Like the fact that Sam Raimi was directing it was evident. And like all of the little things that he all the little flourishes that he put on it that were so reminiscent of the the Spider-Man films. And obviously as a as a as a director who is a horror director at his roots, right? He's throwing in elements of that. Not too much, I think, obviously, because he realized he had to cater to a mainstream audience. Although I would have loved to really see him go full tilt into horror mm-hmm. and just make like a slasher film, which he it did have elements of I slasher know, films. Man, the the scene with the spaghetti man and the guy who got his <laughs> mind blown is that that's about as brutal as it. You mean gets. the smartest man in the world and the king of all inhumans? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the smartest man in the world. We can use that title for that the particular smartest. moment. He yeah. may be the smartest, but he certainly is uh, not. He's certainly the dumbest tactician. Was, was so d- <laughs> I, I remember the second time watching that scene, and and he said that line. I'm just like, oh, you idiot, Jim Halpert. It didn't take me two times <laughs> watching that to figure it out. As soon as he opened mm-hmm. his mouth, I said. You're dead. You're all dead. <laughs> all of you are dead. You're not coming back. I'm sorry. No, I'm not. <laughs> like, it was awful. I knew as soon as it happened. Oh, my gosh. So, uh, but, yeah, it, fun stuff. It's interesting comparing the various approaches because ultimately Marvel Studios and Lucasfilm are two distinct operating groups mm-hmm. under the Disney umbrella. I'll say they have to follow the general Disney rules and the Disney way of doing things. But ultimately their approaches to making films are different. And I think that shows in the fact that most people, I don't, I would not say there's a divided Ooh. fan base in the Marvel cinematic universe. I think I agree. I would agree with that. I would, I think there's definitely a, a certain sense of dissatisfaction among a number of people, but largely if you dislike enough elements about the MCU, you stop calling yourself a fan Mm, and you mm -hmm. kind of leave it at that. Star Wars had a big thing to do 
with uh, a previous audience that came in and Disney said, no, we're going to make movies our way. And that did not jive with a lot of the existing fan base, personally, myself included. And it's really soured the whole experience. And unfortunately, there's a lot of name calling going on back and forth at this point that has just really ruined a lot do, of the magic. Do you think it's because Marvel actually has like a basis in comics versus like the Star Wars movies? They kind that's of actually, went off on their own. That, that's a good point. That's probably a big part of it, honestly, because Marvel has oodles of source material mm-hmm. and Star Wars, like going like when Disney acquired Lucasfilm, the only stuff they had to go on were episodes one through six and most of the clone wars because Mm -hmm. those are the only ones that they actually wanted to bring into their new canon and one of the smartest earliest decisions they they said was to to go to dave filoni and say here's season seven here's your budget get it done and i still think that should have had two more seasons I think there wasn't nearly I like, don't get me wrong. I love the finale to the Clone Wars. It yeah. is they're four of the best episodes in the entire show. Mm-hmm. But I think they had because if you if you go to like like there's a whole Wikipedia article on like all the ideas that they had for future episodes of the Clone Wars. And there was a lot of them when I'm just like, why on earth didn't you keep going with this? Because there are a lot of cool stuff. That a I think would have satisfied audiences more seeing it on screen instead of like in a book or a comic. But also like they were just really, really cool stories. And I think the Clone Wars would have benefited from at like either a longer seventh season or two more seasons. Mm -hmm. But I think Mm -hmm. a season seven and eight of the Clone Wars would would have been extremely would it would have been a huge strength for the overall story. Yeah, that's a fair point. Well, speaking of animated series. Yeah. <laughs> that's actually our topic so, for okay. today. Yeah, so I did this it, is... before before we get into it, I did a goofy. My notes are in the other room. Do you want to go get your notes? I'm gonna go grab them real quick. <laughs> we're gonna cover we're gonna cover for uh for Nick really quick while he grabs his notes. Um yeah. Uh it, I will say that broadly, um, one of the notes I was making about like the Star Wars versus Marvel is that there seems to be a pretty deep division among Star Wars fans. But actually, first of all, I'll disclaimer this. Are, none of us in the room are particularly big comic book fans, right? I haven't read a single comic. Okay. I read a lot of the older stuff. Gotcha. So uh, because I say this because I mentioned with the MCU, there's not a, a particularly large dissenting group. The one group I've heard are that I've heard be like particularly vocal about the handling of the characters and the, the faithfulness of the source material are the the comic book fans. I do. I do my research and I read some of the comic book storylines like if I'm inclined to. But otherwise, mm-hmm. I'm just like. I'm just going to watch this movie and I'm going to enjoy it. My only, uh, I would say my only disagreement necessarily with, with comic book fans and they can take this as, as, as they would want. Like if they're dissenting, they, if they have any dissenting opinions against the MCU is that the Marvel universe broadly has a mechanism in it for different interpretations of characters. So if you're complaining about interpretations of characters in the MCU, you're kind of like giving that complaint with the context of like 
your fictional universe already having this mechanism for these interpretations of the characters. So you yeah. can't say it's a completely invalid interpretation. You might just be angry that the interpretation that you wanted didn't make it on screen necessarily. Well, this is, if it says anything too, like even with the initial Iron Man, um, he was actually a more thought out character in the movie than he was in the comics, supposedly. Yeah, uh, I believe that. Um, that like they actually changed the comics to match him a little bit closer. So it's like sometimes they actually like there's a yin and yang between the two. Yeah. Well, I mean, they started. Uh, I, I don't know if like Nick Fury, like Samuel L. Jackson version of Nick Fury was a uh, was something that existed necessarily before um, the the MCU. Actually, you know, he was. But I remember like I read I read something where it's like Nick Fury was originally like a white guy. Yeah. And then somewhere like even in the Ultimates they, universe, in, is yeah, one, in, yep. in some like somewhere down the line before, like even before the movies were out, they're just like, hmm, we think that Sam Jackson would be a cool person to play Nick Fury. So they actually physically changed his appearance. Interesting. So he looked like Sam Jackson, and I think, especially with our culture for movies being casted, they're just like, well, I know if they ever make this a movie, we want this man to play Nick Fury. But isn't I thought there was actually like a lawsuit in the sense of like they made re- remade him in the Ultimates universe as Samuel L. Jackson basically, and it looked know, so probably. closely that I thought he sued them that like that if there was live action he had to be Nick Fury, hmm. and that's why he's always I the same. I don't think that is. <laughs> I would not be surprised if that was actually the case. To be completely honest, yeah. Um. But yeah, anyway, we're going to make a not subtle transition to our actual subject <laughs> That's material. I was trying to do. You did it earlier? I, I, John, I screwed it up, guys. John, I, I, wish, I wish we were close so I could put my hand on your shoulder. I appreciate you. You're awesome. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I'm just trying to say, I think we, when we started talking about Star Wars stuff, I think we wanted to do an author. Yeah, yeah. Listeners, so, this might happen a lot. We all love Star Wars. Yeah. Well, and this is our opportunity to talk about it on a podcast before we have a state of but, Star Wars episode, which we should get that in the books, I think. Yeah. yeah. Shout, but, but shout, out, to, shout yeah. out to all those. Um, Alicia Belfi, if you're listening, don't worry. Our Star Wars episodes will be coming eventually. Eventually. <laughs> we have to go through a chick flick and an animated film. We, and, we've got some know. we've got some pretty great movies. Yeah, coming we've got up. some fun ones coming up. I'm excited. But uh, this is a new one for us, though. It's our first animated film. Yeah, it is. It is also, once again, one that I have not seen. Yeah. And yet again, I, of course, have seen it. And I actually have. I I have to take some responsibility here. Um, This was this movie was a favorite of mine uh, from my childhood. And this one was a lot of people's favorites. Yeah. As a kid, like what I when I was telling people we were doing this movie, they're just like, Oh, it's so good. Have you seen it? I'm like, no. And they're just like, did you have a childhood? (laughs) And I'm like, I mean, probably not one that included this movie. Yeah, it's it's a very, very heartfelt movie. We'll go into the background a little bit. So good. John, what movie is this? This is none other than The Iron Giant. When was The Iron Giant released? August 6th. 1999. This is also our first pre-2000s movie. That's a good point. Yeah. We got, we're hitting a lot of milestones today. Um, and final quick tangent. I don't know if either of them mentioned this because my memory is bad sometimes. We are recording in a new spot. 
Oh, we, we have not said that. Yeah. No, that's true. I, that's what I yeah. thought. Okay, so my memory's not as bad as yeah. I think it yeah. is. We did say we did this different. We are, we're doing this one differently than the others and that we're watching it right before recording. Um, but we're also in a separate location now. This was this was being recorded. The first two episodes in my bedroom, which is very poorly air conditioned and heated. Yes. Um, and so <laughs> it was whenever it was 90 degrees outside, we're up there sweating and trying to record it was this podcast. so hot up there. So my uncomfortable. Gosh. We're now. Uh, can I say we're at. Okay, so so we are. Um, so we are. We have moved to a top secret location. We moved to my to a room at my place, which I like <laughs> to call the studio. Which it is. It was intended to be a podcasting studio, um, but its primary function. It's a Lego room. It's a Lego. We room. are surrounded mm-hmm. by Legos. It's and glorious. It's a glorious atmosphere. It's glorious. Um, but it's probably you, why we started talking about Star Wars stuff. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Ju- for John, because this is your first time here, yeah. you, you spent like at least twenty minutes. Yeah, just he has admiring everything. It was, I would say, uh, it put a huge grin on my face. Yeah, I'm getting all the podcasting gear out and, and starting to set up, and there, John's just marveling all the different <laughs> Lego sets in the room. Some cases, literally, there are Marvel. There is Marvel stuff in there. That's, uh, that's a good point, actually. But yes, we we are in a new location. We are using the studio. We're using the studio for we the are, first time. I'm I've been so ready to use the studio for this purpose, and I'm already in love with it. Yeah, it's fantastic. So the Iron Giant came out in you said 1999, was it? Correct. Yeah, and directed by Brad Bird of Incredibles fame. This is the film. I was wondering where you were going with that. Um, be careful. We might get a copyright strike. Um, but yeah, this was. <laughs> I don't think if he hums it, that's a problem. Uh, have you Ooh, been on okay. YouTube before? Um, no. <laughs> this, this isn't going on YouTube. I it, it think. won't. It won't. I think we'll no. be fine. But I'm just, I'm just making you aware. Um, but yeah, this Brad Bird directed. Always cut it out in editing too. That's fair. (laughs) I don't think we'll have to do that. But yeah, the this was Brad Bird's uh, uh, film before he went to Pixar to do The Incredibles, Mm -hmm. Um, and it does show a little bit. We were picking out some details. Yeah, there was a lot of a lot of the art style that was used. Like even though it wasn't like three D animation, it. like if the Incredibles were done in 2D, it would look a lot like what we just saw. I think mm-hmm. I I would agree with that actually. Um, so yeah, it's it is a childhood classic for me. Um, watching it as an adult, of course, it hits slightly differently. Oh. Um, and it's still in the feels, but it does hit differently. Um, so. What was the uh, budget and box office for this? Do we did we look those things up? Uh, yeah, the the budget was fifty million dollars, and the box office was thirty one point three million dollars. Wow, tell me about that. What what happened? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was probably an obscure boy back in the day. Yeah, I feel like just the marketing in general. Uh, yeah, was not really there for this film compared so, to other ones. Yeah, I'm gonna pull this actually from the the Wikipedia page for for Iron Giant here. If we go down to marketing. Um, it was a commercial failure. Yeah, just mm-hmm. did not oh. even make its budget back, and I don't even want to think about the marketing costs. But that's that's okay because apparently the marketing costs were zero. <laughs> um, but yeah, because I like, I mean, I was a kid during this time, and hey, I do not worst, recall worst, like, movie, worst movies have come from better marketing strategies. I'm just saying. Correct. Yeah, and and so, uh, I I just I feel like when this movie came out, I didn't even know like 
I had never even heard of it. There was like, I, I can't re- tro- re- recall a trailer or anything about it. So apparently there was a previous film done by Warner Brothers called Quest for Camelot, um, which I think mm. I've, I have actually seen, um, which has a pretty interesting cast in and of itself. But the commercial response for the film was not very great. And so I, I guess Warner Brothers kind of pulled back on on promoting their animated films. Um, but then they did some test screenings. And I think the attribution for this uh, comes from, let's see, Animation World magazine. But it's noted that the the test screening scores for the Iron Giant were the highest for a film in 15 years. This is according to Bird. Holy cow. So, like, it was, they they didn't prepare for that kind of thing. Um, And so there was just not enough time, really, to get a marketing campaign together before before the release. Well, <laughs> if it says anything too, like moving on a little bit, uh, both the Rotten Scores critic score and the audience score are yeah, both the ninety-six Tomatoes, and ninety yeah, percent. The Rotten Tomatoes scores are like those are way high, high. really good, and it, it shows. This movie is a classic for a lot of people. I'm, I'm very glad that it's gotten the recognition that it it really deserves, um, yeah, including a, a couple of re-releases over the years. There's actually a a signature edition collectors or signature collectors edition you can buy on Amazon comes with like a figurine and like an art booklet uh, with, with like concept art and stuff from the film. It's really neat. I, I didn't necessarily feel like splurging the cash, but as someone, you know, who lives in 2022 and hasn't thought to bottle to buy a lot of physical copies of, of movies. As soon as I, I remember that we were doing this, I went and found a Blu-ray. I couldn't actually order the Blu-ray from Amazon. I, hmm, without getting the collector's edition because the collector's edition was 45 bucks and I, I ended up going to Best Buy and ordering it for about like fifteen or something. Best Buy had it of all places, dude. Best Best Buy is is the MVP in a Shout lot out to of Best ways. Buy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> thank yeah, you, so Best does. Buy. Not spo- hashtag not sponsored. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean it, it's it is such a pivotal film. I think for a lot of people, and and it goes to show the the best kids films really have a lot for adults too. Um, and so if you think about these kinds of films, they really pull double duty because adults have to be able to pull as much from these things as, as, as kids. And this is certainly the case here. There's a lot of details in this film that, that only really become apparent to adults. Um, and it just makes it so much more fun to watch as an adult as well, because you have the rose colored, the rose tinted glasses that you viewed it from as a, as a kid. And then you transition to adulthood and you get to see both of that and feel those things again, but you also get to see the adult side of it. So yeah. what is the USCCB consensus on this for me? So the USCCB has to say absorbing animated adventure about a young boy voice of Eli Marienthal. I'm sorry if I botched that name. I think that's close. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Trying to protect a towering metal robot from a paranoid government agent voice of Christopher McDonald bent on its destruction, even if it means blowing up the boy's hometown. Director Brad Bird's tale is both political allegory adults can enjoy and a gentle story of friendship older than children can relate to. Or older children can relate to. That sounded weird the first time I said that. That's fine. Uh, some intense cartoon violence and menace to a child. Rated an A2, rated PG. Yeah. Well, that, that sounds about right. It does. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually remember at one point it was weird. I'd definitely seen the movie before. And then, 
someone it was it became up as a point as a thing we could watch in the house and then it came up that it was pg and i was still a little too young i guess for pg and so <laughs> i couldn't watch it that one night for some reason um or i can't remember what the beef was about it i'm probably getting this wrong wait like how old were you oh oh goodness it must have been like five or six or seven or that's something. no i don't think that's too young but whatever now yeah. i mean being the youngest they well, just didn't even as, you, as you a baby. I never thought I'd say that to you as a, as like a five or six year old. Right. It, it is. There are some very intense moments in it as an adult. They go by a little too fast for me to get involved in how intense it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly as a kid. Right. It would have stuck out. And it. I remember like a sequence towards the beginning of the film where where uh, the this the the titular character is first discovered right that whole sequence was super intense to me as a kid mm-hmm. oh yeah and as an adult you still you still get a lot of that but you know largely um it doesn't quite hit as crazily um as some other films that i've seen before so mm-hmm. um but yeah uh, are we ready to go into the plot summary let's gentlemen? do it all right we're gonna go mm-hmm. let's talk about the iron giant Iron Giant. Iron Giant. Ha ha. We are French now. Oh, goodness. All right. (laughs) The year is 1957. The planet is Earth. Um, We open up to a shot of Sputnik orbiting Mm -hmm. the planet, which is, I think, a great, like, to anyone who's lived in the past 20, 30, 40, 50 years. not to be confused with with, uh, David Schwimmer dressed like a potato pretending to be a satellite. Which he dubbed Sputnik. I uh, wish I wish I was kidding. I don't have the context for that, but the pun tells me that there was something interesting happening there. Well, it was Friends, <laughs> so something interesting was happening in every episode. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a good point. Oh, it was Friends. Yeah, it's a, that was a Friends All joke. Right. I haven't seen a lot of Friends, so. Um, but well, yeah, you're with two of them right now. Uh, Okay. Um, See, and I talked to you about doing theme songs and stuff, and then I just I commit my my own sin, um, but I break my own rule, so to speak. So yeah, Sputnik is orbiting, which I think is a great indicator, like to anyone who's lived in the past fifty years, just to tell you like exactly where we are in time. Mm-hmm. Um, and as Sputnik orbits, something goes careening past it into the atmosphere crashes onto earth we're somewhere off the coast of maine as the movie very obviously tells us by flashing a subtitle on the screen <laughs> just somewhere <laughs> somewhere off the coast of maine we don't know where was it maine was yeah, that? yeah yep, it was yep. maine. that yeah. might have been one of the funniest subtitles i've ever seen somewhere, somewhere off the coast of maine <laughs> we don't know we don't even know if it's off the coast of maine but Could we're be telling off the you coast of like canada for all we know newfoundland Something well, like I think there's a very specific of using Sputnik and it being America. Yes. Of like just the uh, it, paranoia at the it time. It tells you about the context. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this this thing crashes into the planet. The sailor is is stuck in the middle of this storm that's going on. He sees this thing hit the ground uh, and he's trying to relay his position. Um, but he sees the lighthouse and he's like, no way. I, I got this. This is the lighthouse. And then the lighthouse turns. And it's not one light, it's two. It's a pair of eyes. And he crashes straight into it. Um, he looks up and he sees this massive iron giant in front of him before the waves take his ship and he uh, and he goes under. Um, 
So next day, this kiddo named Hogarth. Uh, <laughs> well, they, they show that the gun man. You don't need to make fun of it. <laughs> There's already one character in the film that does that. But but I would say like the, the guy gets to the shore, right? Like and sees the actual lighthouse. Yeah, yeah as Hogarth goes into the diner, there's actually a part of this scene that involves um involves this sailor who made it safely ashore, thankfully, mm-hmm. um at the end of the first scene, washed up would, on the rocks. Would you say by the giant or not? Um or do you think it's just no. I think, I think the giant saved him. Because they don't actually show you. They that don't, is, but I'm, I've, I feel like it was strongly implied. That's a that's a good question. I didn't know if I got that implication from it, but certainly he gets washed ashore. But by the time he looks up, he sees the actual lighthouse mm-hmm. and the giant's nowhere to be found. I, I would say, like, even even from this get-go, the I thought the water animation was very Fantastic. well done, too. Yeah, really well done. Oh, gosh. Well, the animation in this movie in general was just like, spot on for pre-2000s. Yeah. Even especially, like, the... One of the things you can really tell is the atmosphere, like the, the water, like the rain from the storm. And then later on, there will be snow. Yeah, so like, absolutely. Like, they, they did an incredible job with the atmospherics in it. The actual animated characters get a sort of simpler treatment, but all the backgrounds, all of the environments are just very richly detailed. Um, I, I noted to the guys at one point in the movie, I was telling John and Nick that it felt like I was kind of watching a bunch of Bob Ross paintings. Oh, I definitely got the impression of very well painted backgrounds. Here's a friendly little tree. Yeah. <laughs> say hi, tree. A friendly little tree, as the giant would say. Um, but yeah, so Hogarth goes into this diner. He has this this little shoebox with him, and he's trying to convince this mom that this this animal that he has found could be a pet. And his mom has seen this story happen before. She's having none of it. By the way. Nick, you caught on awfully fast. Like, this this from mom like the is the first couple of lines. It seemed yeah. like what it, you pointed out that that the mom is is voiced by who? Well, I mean, we were talking about friends earlier, and the mom is voiced by none other than Rachel Green herself, the Jennifer Aniston. Which might make sense in the sense of she's a waitress in this movie, and she's a waitress in. Oh, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there, it it was interesting. Like as someone who didn't watch Friends, I had no clue what you were talking about, right? But that's actually that would make sense, right? If you've seen a lot of Friends, you would probably recognize the voice. Oh, mm-hmm. oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Hogarth wants to to keep this animal as a pet. Uh, his mom, has, who works at the diner, has wants none of this because there has been a previous incident with a raccoon um, <laughs> that. Uh, does not go named for one reason or another. We probably saw it swimming around somewhere later yeah, in the movie. Yeah, yep, that yep. might have been the <laughs> very same. Um, and yeah, so Hogarth, uh, she she finally gets one over. She's like, okay, I just want to see this this creature, whatever it is. Uh, Hogarth looks down at the shoebox. The shoebox is thusly empty. The animal has escaped, and mm-hmm. so he will go get it for her. And so he goes off into the diner mm-hmm. somewhere. He's looking for this pet, checking under tables. And he sees the squirrel run underneath the table of this man reading a newspaper. And uh, he tries to get the man's attention. Turns out he is dead asleep. <laughs> Suppose, I don't even know how he's continuing to hold this newspaper up. But he's asleep. I thought they were going to do an Elvis joke for a second. <laughs> I there was yeah, Elvis yeah. I 100% thought yep. it was going to be Elvis. I'm going to be like, whoa, that's cool. Because you could see like the back of his head and he had like dark hair. Yeah. yeah. But this was long before the days of celebrity cameos in movies. So 
This is not Elvis, unfortunately. Oh. But it is the next best thing. It is a Dean. <laughs> Um, who was what, like the most nineties person to have in a fifties movie? Ridiculous. Yeah, he, the dude just has the nineties attitude. Um, but well, yeah, and he has the nineties dress too. He does. The, the dark. Nobody, the, no one in the fifties wore a turtleneck yeah. last well, night. And it had like a soul patch, and it was just mm-hmm. he was an artist. Uh, yeah. I, I <laughs> still, I still think he was a time traveler. <laughs> Probably Any, makes more anything, sense. Anything's possible in that universe. Yeah, who knows? Any, well, anything's possible in the multiverse. Yeah, and there's a there's actually a really interesting detail here where there, as there's as as Hogarth is introducing himself to, to Dean and trying to inform him that there is a squirrel underneath the table. Um, the sailor from the first scene of the film is at the table next to them, uh, trying to tell the guys there about this uh, this giant that he saw, this massive metal man, and they all think he's nuts, uh, appropriately so in mm-hmm. some ways, I might add. Um, if a if a guy who just was in a, a a boat crash and probably has a concussion is just spouting off to you about you know some giant metal thing that they saw crash to earth but dean is kind of like hey man i mean it could be real like i i believe that it could be real and you know hogarth kind of concurs and and that all goes a certain yeah, direction yeah there's a line where um because dean is kind of sticking up for sailor earl yeah a uh, boy earl Yep, and he someone's just says, gotta stick it, it, up it, for the kooks. Yeah, if we don't stick stick up for the kooks, who will? That's exactly. Kind of yeah. Um, Hogarth's mom stops by, asks him if asks this uh, this man if her uh, if her son is bothering him, and it's at this point that Dean begins behaving very strangely. Um, he is like a little squirmy, and then he slams the table, and he just goes, "No, call me Dean." <laughs> Um, and it's just like okay and so Hogarth's mom just wants nothing more to do (laughs) wants nothing more to do with this runs off Um, and uh, at this point Dean is like yo I know where the squirrel is he's in my (laughs) pants (laughs) he crawled up my pants leg and so Hogarth is trying to convince him not to make a scene I think the (laughs) dancing was more convincing than him actually telling him there was a squirrel in his pants yeah very much so it was it was incredible honestly how they they did I have not seen characters convincingly behave so uncomfortably in a movie I don't know if that that's a very niche thing to say for some reason they just seem to like in this movie, they really nail how uncomfortable some things can be. And so him like squirming around there, like, dude, there's, there's a, there's a squirt in my pants. Uh, I don't know how long I can like keep my composure mm-hmm. and sure enough, he loses it. And so he's like, sorry, I just got it. He steps up. Yeah. He goes, I want to apologize to everybody in advance for this and just unzips his fly and out pops the squirrel and just destroys the diner. I'm sure some people had questions when that was going on. <laughs> Especially at that time. Just I mean, in the 50s, you yeah. know, you know, whenever something unusual happened in the I mean, when something unusual happens now, we have questions, but something unusual happened in the 50s. Um, questions were raised. Mm-hmm. I just, I just love how what follows as soon as he unzips the squirrel is like a scenes from the diner thing where the camera just scrolls in one direction 
and you just see all of these mini scenes of the squirrel just messing up people's times, like throwing waitresses off, like crashing through dishes, messing with customers, just like in this very quick sequence. It's such an, uh, an amazing unleash of chaos. It, it kind of reminded me of a Christmas vacation where they have the squirrel in the tree that breaks on <laughs> the dog chases. Yeah, it just wrecks the entire house. Yep, yep absolutely. That's, that's a great movie. So, That'd be a good holiday movie to cover. Uh, yeah, add it to the list, honestly. I love Christmas vacation. Yeah. Our list is going to be so long, it's like, we'll have stuff for years. That's the point. Yep. And I actually, I should point out that in that quick scroll, we saw a character that will be in the film later that we'll introduce here in a little bit. You guys didn't pick up on this. I noticed it. Because um, of the way we just reacted. Yes, because you got they, they gave each other like a blank look and just kind of shrugged. Um, <laughs> okay. But it, it is uh, I'm yeah. just as confused as you. Yeah. John. He's, yeah. Seen, he's probably seen this movie like a million times. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I was talking to guys before this mentioning I'm going to have to restrain myself so hard from just constantly quoting this movie because <laughs> there are so many quotable moments. Um, so anyway, the whole thing at the diner is over with. Um, Hogarth goes home. His mom's working late. So she's like, all right, no scary movies. You know, there's some cold chicken in the free in the icebox. Be in bed by eight. And being a kid, you know. He, of course, does all of those things except be in bed by eight. <laughs> what? Yeah. No, he doesn't. No, everything he does nothing. The, all of it is the opposite. That, yeah. He does everything she just says not to do. That No, that that's my point. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's eating Twinkies, watching a horror film. That is so ridiculous. It's a Twinkie, not, and then he shoves <laughs> in the... He's not just <laughs> eating a Twinkie. He's... Shoving cool the the point of a Cool Whip into the Twinkie, yes, <laughs> and, and then yes. that's so crazy. <laughs> and he's just doing it so absentmindedly, like he's done it a million times. <laughs> like this is practiced. This man knows how to um, inflate a Twinkie, so to speak. <laughs> Um, I never thought I'd hear anyone say the words inflate a Twinkie <laughs> and they will never Quote. be, they will never be uttered again. Um, inflate oh a Twinkie. So, so are the Twinkies from like the fifties? I mean, I, I, would, even, <laughs> I would guess they were around in the fifties. I mean, maybe they could survive a nuclear I'm, Holocaust. I'm I don't looking, know. Uh, quick well, Wikipedia they, sur- they survived a zombie apocalypse. If you saw Zombieland. Uh, April 6, 1930. Correct, yes. Wow. In Illinois, Schiller Park, Illinois, probably Chicagoland. Well, look at that. Um, Anyway, he's watching like the most cheesy of cheesy horror movies. (laughs) It was so 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 bad. The worst (laughs) acting I've ever seen. Oh no, Uh, I forgot something in the lab. I forgot my keys (laughs) in the lab. Uh, Oh, darn. A perfectly good brain wasted. <laughs> what is this? Uh, so he's watching it's this a horror cartoon movie. horror movie. That's what it is. As, as a kid, I incorrectly interpreted that uh, Hogarth was, in fact, scared by this movie. He doesn't actually seem all that scared Mm-mm. at all. He's more scared by the sound he hears outside. Yeah. And the, the TV antenna is gone. Um, and so I think he, he's just mad the TV and yeah, he didn't get to finish his he didn't get to finish his stupid stupid cheesy horror movie that wasn't all that scary to begin with. He sounds like he's going to be a really interesting adult. Um, 
Well, he also made this like makeshift tent in his in the living room. Yeah, he has like a fort. The man has constructed himself the ultimate lazy boy. You know, it's it's kind of amazing. Like kids he, find the most. He truly does live in a bachelor pad. Well, and he's only like what six? Yeah, and, and I think this goes to show like. I, Maybe up to this point, you might not have realized that, like, he didn't have a dad. But the fact that, like, she's working alone and then there's, like, nobody there at the house but him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you guys have hypotheses about that that we'll cover later because you noticed some details partway mm-hmm. through the movie that, that kind of gave it away. Um, so, yeah. So he notices the TV antenna is gone and he sees this kind of, like, trail leading into the woods. And so he grabs his BB gun, he tapes a flashlight to it, and he, he goes out into the woods. <laughs> well, well, I'm getting to it. Don't, don't jump the gun on this. Um, he's walking pun, through this pun trail. Intended. <laughs> oh, Here we no. go again. Um, so yeah, he's going through the woods, and he's pointing the flashlight at various like giant scratch marks, whole trees just mm-hmm. destroyed. Um, and at a certain point, he comes it, up on. It's really cool, like just, just the animation in this part yeah. too. I'm just like, oh, so good. Yeah, the, it's it's fantastic. The lighting of it. The lighting. I, I just thought it was really interesting how the the background is painted, but like the actual characters are kind of like more drawn. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like how the highlighting works on the painting. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They they did a good job with layering the lighting against the various elements in the background. Um, so yeah, fantastic job. Uh, so I, I would also say that like this is the point where he dons the helmet yeah, for the first the helmet, time. Yeah, he's got the helmet. Yeah, he's the, it's like a pilot's helmet kind of yeah, thing. And, and I think it was like an aviator jacket too. Like yeah, the, no, yeah. you're right. You're yeah. right. You're absolutely that right. Probably wouldn't have protected him from his poorly constructed BB gun, though. Well, just <laughs> Don't jump the gun on me. <laughs> Don't jump the gun. Unintended again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So anyway, he gets up to the power substation. You're shooting yourself home. in the foot with these. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, so he gets to the power substation and uh, there is something very frightening happening here. Um, actually, no. Doesn't he, doesn't the giant like walk over him? Yes. So the giant just kind of shows yeah, up. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. yeah. He, he, he doesn't, he finds this power substation at a certain point. He, he, Cox's his BB gun. He like loads it up. And this is why I've been making all the gun jokes at this point, because he's got this flash, this absurdly large flashlight taped to the end of his BB gun. Mm-hmm. If he actually shot a BB, it would just reflect off of the bell housing of the BB gun and like go some completely different direction. So it's, it, we were noticing. Because he has it taped, yeah, like right at the end of the barrel. Right at the end. <laughs> and I just, I didn't even realize like he, that's, that's just absurd <laughs> they had to have known like when they made this that like that's exactly the kind of screw up a kid would do <laughs> yeah. maybe uh, maybe ralphie watched this movie too much and that's why he eventually shot himself in the eye oh yeah yeah yep. well unless you, that movie you, came out first you know he has the goggles to protect himself from that that's true that's very so. true he didn't have them down though so. uh, okay so that means that uh Hogarth watched a Christmas story. When did Christmas story come out? I think it was like in the hey, 80s. Hey Siri. When did a Christmas story come out? <laughs> 1983. A Christmas story was published January 29th, 1983. Yeah. I didn't know we were going to have a guest star on. Yeah, that was a Siri for you. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's very possible that he might have watched a Christmas story. 
Well, um, she may not have learned I mean, all the, the right lessons from it. In the context of this movie, it was supposed to be from the 50s. Oh, shoot. Okay, yeah, um, you're right. Okay, so, so Ralphie, I'm just being stupid. Okay, so never mind. The time, Nick, yeah. time, yeah. timelines yeah. are being mixed up. Yeah, there's, yeah. Some, there's some time. This is what, I mean, it's because of Dean, right? The time traveling Dean. Yeah, uh, yeah Dean's, is, we Dean's live, meddling we affairs. We live in a multiverse of madness. Yeah. Yep. Um, so the the giant shows up, kind of walks over Hogarth um, to the substation and just like tears a giant chunk out of a metal tower and just starts eating it. Um, and then he decides that the, uh, the some other electrified component of the substation is looking mighty tasty. And so he reaches for it and just gets like the mother of all <laughs> like static shocks mm-hmm. and kind of gets blown back against the high voltage power lines and is just getting like electrocuted repeatedly by these lines just constantly. And so Hogarth obviously is like scared to death of everything that's going on. He tries to run away, kind of sees this whole thing going on, feels bad for the, for robo boy. This is where he drops his gun though, right? He does drop his gun. Yeah. Yeah. As he's, Actually, the, the gun was dropped earlier, I think, because the, the robot steps on it. Yeah. The giant steps on it. Um, and so he he's, he notices this giant, super obvious switch that is on and off. <laughs> and so he pulls on it really hard to it's turn it off. It's the master switch. It's the master switch. <laughs> um, shuts off the, the whole thing. And the giant just kind of goes like, uh, like croaks and falls over. And uh, which of is voiced by none Vin other. Vin Diesel. Yeah. Of uh, Groot and family. He's known yes. for saying only a few words. Among them, I am Groot. Nothing matters more than family. We're family. Um, I am Groot. Maybe this was like the audition for him becoming Groot, that he has voiced something that was animated previously. Yeah. Mar- yeah. Before Marvel was cool, they're just like, you know that guy who voiced a giant robot? Let's have him voice a giant tree. 15 years from now. <laughs> well, and I would say if, if Vin Diesel has something super impressive under his his voice, his acting resume in general, it's the fact that he manages to like really effectively convey emotions with the same sounds mm-hmm. repeated just in different ways. That's true. And so he really is. He's good at that. Let's let's give him some credit where credit's due. Mm-hmm. Um, well, plus he has a nice like bass voice. He does. It's very oh, resonating. Yeah. Yeah, it lends itself well to a lot of like the the vocal effects that they do for these films. So in, in any event, uh, Giant falls over. Hogarth kind of climbs up, chucks a rock inside to see how far down it is. It's pretty far. Um, I don't think he hears an end to it. Uh, but the the Giant turns back on, reboots, um, and you know Hogarth kind of scrambles off as this Giant gets up, and Hogarth just runs for his life. Um, at this point, mom has already come home, seen that Hogarth has done exactly what she didn't want it to do, want him to do. And not only that is not even in the house anymore. And so she is like running out, driving out, trying to find him. Well, this is right when he shuts off the switch. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's Cause the power goes out and then she's like, Oh, well now I can't find him anywhere. Yeah. She's got the flash. <laughs> she's got the other flashlight in the house on she's looking. And so eventually she drives out to meet him. She finds him. Uh, and she's just like, I don't need any of your crap right now. He's telling her about like this giant robot and, you know, which I think is really interesting of a kid to like 
he is super frightened. She is super frightened. They hug. And while it's taking her a bit to process all of this as a kid, he is just so like, and this is like, I think part of just the innocence of a kid. As soon as he's okay, right? He knows he's okay and he feels safe. He's just instantly on about this giant robot and he cannot stop talking to her about it. And she has to be like, yo, chill, brother, chill out. I can't do this tonight. Yeah, I, I do think, sorry to step back That's just fine. a little bit. Yeah. Um, I do think it was really interesting just seeing the character of Holgarth, of that he was initially very afraid of the giant robot, but yeah. he saw that it was like trapped in the... It was like, suffering. Yeah, and it's like, it changed, because like he was running away and then he like flipped, he was like, wait a second. Then he kind of like turns and he's like, made a decision to help him rather than give in to fear. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so they... That's actually a really good analysis. And I think we, we noticed, I think, as adults, a lot of these really good character points in this movie. So it's certainly not the last profound one, but I like that you mm. pointed that out. He made a really conscious decision here um, to help out this robot. And I do think it's a it's a somewhat um, exaggerated extension of how he was at the very start of the film, like a scene, like a scene or two ago where he's trying to save this like squirrel mm-hmm. from, you know, being outside. Um, so anyway, they, Hogarth's mom takes him home. Um, and the next day they are, they're at school and there's this hilarious (laughs) instructional film. Now, if you guys haven't picked this, if our listeners haven't picked up on at this point, this, this film kind of takes place in the middle of the cold war. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot going on about like potential nuclear attacks and, uh, and all the instructional videos meant to like sort of keep the public aware of of how they can be safe. And this is really funny film being shown in this class as Hogarth and his his classmates are having this dialogue about this giant robot of um, what to do if if a nuclear bomb strikes when you're at school. <laughs> and it shows this kid like to like this to the tune of this catchy song that they've got like duck and cover. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and he just and like it shows this this girl like going. Yeah, with the with the walking mm-hmm. walking the dog kind of thing on the ride symbol, <laughs> yeah. and um, and it shows this girl like getting under the desk and like they drop in the little nuke from the top and then it explodes and it, like literally everything around, <laughs> literally everything around her is just obliterated except for her <laughs> pillar of earth where she's hiding under this desk. <laughs> and it, it really reminded me of like Fallout. <laughs> it's very like, Fallout. It's yeah. very reminiscent of that. Um, but it, I just, to me, that whole, that whole scene provides a lot of context to there, there are things that, you know, the, the government is really trying to like keep the peace and, and not give people reasons to worry. And the honest truth of that is like the, the honest truth behind that video, right? Is ducking and covering under a desk is not going to do crap for you. If a bomb goes off anywhere near you, like mm-hmm. a, a nuke. Um, like we're not talking about a couple inches or a piece of plywood. We're talking about being 20 to 30 miles away to even be remotely having a chance of surviving. Um, You might as well just like duck and kiss your own butt goodbye. Yeah. (laughs) But, but obviously they're not playing. They don't want to tell you that. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Cause it would be panic, you know? Well, and I think they knew just so little about it too. Yeah. And I mean, sitting in this room, right. None of us lived during that time. You know, I was born in 97. Like I, I have, that was long after the, you know, that that part of the Cold War had ended. Mm-hmm. Um, and so well, I don't. That was, that was long after the Cold War ended, period. 
Well, mm. I, I I say that because there's you know with current events, it could be argued there's more going on there. But that's oh, yeah, that's, that's well, fair. But like, ah, out of this room, I was the only one that was alive during Soviet Russia. You old fart! <laughs> oh my goodness, that's right. You're so much older than I think you are sometimes. It's astonishing, John. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I retract my comment earlier when I said you were a baby because you said you were the youngest. You're back to being an old fart. He's an old <laughs> fart. Yep. Again. I, I feel like that's just going to come up in every episode, but that's okay. It has to. That, that is. Speaking that, of, though, being an old fart, like. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, one thing that I do think is interesting uh, theme that they have in this going throughout is uh, so. The next episode or the next part of the movie, um, they get into like the whole the bureau guy comes out. Oh yeah, Ken yeah. Mansley. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Which, but, by the way, but, he's you see him at the diner earlier. That's what I was referencing. Oh okay, yeah. But well, yeah, anyway, so he's called in, and it reminded me just a lot of um, this whole bureau being like very similar to the, of the times. X Files was a really big thing. Yes, yeah. and that freaking like, guy. <laughs> but I, it just reminded me of like with the Iron Giant coming in, well, with like UFOs and like stuff from outer space, and having a bureau that's investigating those things. It reminded me a lot of X Files. Ken Mansley, <laughs> he works for the government, first of all. Yeah, so, so he was called in because um, somebody, didn't they have their the sailor, car? The sailor, Earl, Earl called the government. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, he's like, I've called someone, they're sending someone down, it's a big deal, and everyone's like, yeah, sure, buddy, whatever. Um, and then Kent Mansley, he works for the government, shows up, mm-hmm. um, and the, he starts the asking Bureau questions. Of the Bureau of Unex- Unexplained mm-hmm. Phenomenon? Yeah. The BUP. The BUP? The BUP. The BUP. Yeah. Um, obviously a fictional sort of allegory to, you know, whatever dead end department was handling UFO investigations at the time. And you kind of get the sense that Mansley, the poor guy's kind of like he has, he's manufactured a lot of self-importance mm-hmm. because he must be in this dead end job. In fact, the very first scene he's at the power station, um, and he's, you know, kind of talking to the people and rummaging through stuff. And he's kind of giving the whole spiel about sometimes, you know, things happen that people can't explain and they want mm-hmm. their, they want to know that their government has a response and I'm the response, you know? And so you get the sense that, that like he has to kind of paint himself as the guy. Cause he probably chases a ton, yeah. a ton of dead ends. I'll say. And yeah, it's just like, you know, how do you, he, you get the sense he's in a dead end job, basically. Yep. Um, but he works under a general and he gets to talk about, you know, calling in the army and all that stuff and, and acts like he's he's a super big deal. Um, but he he goes back to his car after finding the remnants of Hogarth's <laughs> rifle. Mm-hmm. And I love that you noted this shot. And I think the shot is very critical. The shot is from the off the passenger seat looking in. And he gets in and he's just... This, this might have been the funniest moment in the entire movie. <laughs> His reaction is it, amazing. It literally comes after he said, oh, only big things happen in big cities. Yeah, he, yeah, <laughs> he's, he's basically like crap talking this small town and being yeah. like, you know, nothing big happens here. Like uh, big things are for big places with a really toothy smile. And mm-hmm. he, he goes off and gets in his car and he's kind of muttering to himself and he goes to drop the gun in the passenger seat <laughs> and, and he looks over out. it zooms out and literally the front right corner of his car has been eaten out. And he just sort of rolls from whatever it was he was saying into this explosive like, oh my God! Like, <laughs> like yeah. jumps out of the car. 
<laughs> I could watch that scene a million times. Oh, that's, it's, yeah, that was great. Like I said, funniest bump in the whole well, and movie. And then he goes to like tell somebody yeah. about it, and then he's <laughs> not the <laughs> And it's just gone. Yeah, yeah just straight He walks up. away, and you see this big metal arm reach out of the woods, and like gra- start to grab the car, and he's he's trying to pull this guy over after just basically like talking smack on the dude's town mm-hmm. and he's like pulling him over like no I don't think you understand there was just this big chunk taken out of my car and it's just and he stops dead because he's turning around pointing and his car is just completely gone except for um, Hogarth's rifle the remnants mm-hmm. of Hogarth's rifle and like maybe a few other pieces of scrap and he just doesn't know what to do about it and so now he's all in right he think, he's convinced he's found the big boy um, so yeah <laughs> he's just like going crazy about this now. Um, so later on in this day, Hogarth goes out and he finds the giant again. He takes out, he takes a camera. Mm-hmm. He takes a big piece of sheet metal. He's like, Hey, I got some fresh, tasty metal for you. You know, rust free, you know, BPA free vegan. Um, the whole, the whole shebang. It, it, it's kind of like with Pro- driving probably gold. not processed. Probably not processed. Well, I mean, it's oh, if it's maybe. iron, it's been oh, processed. Okay, cheap fine. Metal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't get away from you know processed foods, uh, especially in America. He's uh, definitely treating him like a wild animal and like trying to bait him. <laughs> yeah. Well, and he, he gets exactly what he wants. You know, he falls asleep <laughs> yeah. trying to like wait to take a picture of this of the the hand, and he ends up getting the whole giant. Foreshadowing somebody trying to stare at something down and then falls asleep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> He finds this giant and like Hogarth is trying to run away and the giant's just there. And so eventually Hogarth just kind of lights, like leans back and sits on his butt and the giant is crouched and looking at him. He accidentally took a selfie. Yeah. He accidentally took a selfie. Um, And then the giant seeing him sitting down slowly creaks backward and sits down and like shakes the whole forest doing it. Um, but you kind of get this game very quickly of like Hogarth making a small movement and the giant mimicking the movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Hogarth starts to talk to him and starts getting him to like say words. And so he teaches him what a rock is and what a tree is. And I, I love this because what they did with, they actually managed to make the voice of the giant sound kind of strained and painful, mm-hmm. like really like a big giant metal robot who has never spoken before and is trying to speak. Um, and so they, they have this great moment of like sort of slowly getting to know each other. Uh, clearly the giant, whatever it is, doesn't seem to remember what its purpose is or why it got there or how it got there because it's got this big bump on its uh, left temple. Um, Temple area, basically, you know, more like a left end, like a dent. Yeah, it's a good point. It's a dent, not a bump. Sorry. You're right. Um, and so they kind of bond over this and and Hogarth is like, you got to stay here. He tries leaving. The giant just follows him no matter what he does. And they get to some railroad tracks. And <laughs> finally, the, the giant kind of thinks with his stomach instead of his curiosity. The, the next the next few scenes of this movie had some pretty hilarious moments. Oh, yeah. yeah. He just start the giant just starts trying to eat the railroad tracks. <laughs> yeah, it's just, just snacks sitting right yeah. there. Why not? Some tasty like Slim Jims, basically. <laughs> um, yummy, yummy. And and the, the worst part of that is like Hogarth is like, you got to put that away. And then sure enough, his worst fears realize the train starts coming. And so the giant is like frantically trying to put 
this thing back together and he doesn't quite get it in time. The train strikes him. It gets derailed. He gets blown to bits. Um, and Hogarth is like, I just made contact with an alien life form and it's dead. <laughs> uh, but it's not because all of the various parts of the giant that are strewn about start to come back together. Oh, that was so And cool. so he leads the giant, which is still mostly intact, but it's missing like a leg and an arm and, you know, its jaws broken and everything. And he leads it back to Anakin Skywalker can personally relate to him in this moment. Absolutely. <laughs> um, leads the giant back to the family barn um, where you get to see all of these different parts which are kind of like recalling and wiggling their way back to the host. Except maybe for this part. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and they're all just reconnecting. You get these really awesome little animated details of the different, like, you know, connections reinitiating. Yeah, and the animation back on. was on fire. So good. Mm-hmm. Um, um, during this sequence. And you get the little, like, playful soundtrack coming along, too. It's just like, you know, kind of like. It's it seems suddenly so lighter in tone because this giant is this this to this kid it's it's such a wondrous thing. Um, it, okay, maybe they're like relating to like other films in this way, but I'm just like noticing it now too. Of like, there's very much the story of like the independent kid like going mm-hmm. off and doing things. Like I can imagine like he's done this before, like yeah. going on to different because like. You notice how like he doesn't have like any of his friends with them in this. <laughs> it's well, almost like the Iron Giant winds up becoming his friend in that case. They do make it's a very subtle side plot, but when they're in the classroom and there's that film being shown about the nuke, um, and he's talking to these kids, they all kind of don't like him. And if you'll notice very subtly, and this probably is because I've watched the film a million times, but the teacher only calls out Hogarth for talking. Mm. Um, she's like don't make me come over there Hogarth and so you get the sense that like he's kind of the the runt in a way of the pack the misfit a misfit yeah well and I'm guessing maybe this is a weird point but like maybe because he only has a, a mom um, that like could, for that kind of time that period that could be actually yeah that's, that's possible mm-hmm. um, so but uh, yeah, so he at a certain point, the giant is now all together, except he's still missing a hand, which becomes the catalyst for our next scene. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hogarth is sitting down with his mom for dinner. And as uh, as he attempts to lead him and his mom in grace. Uh, oh, my God. He notices that 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 this is one of the most uncomfortable scenes in a movie I've ever had to sit through. And, and, and I don't know how I've sat through it this many times, but the, the hand of the giant comes waltzing in out of view of his mom, but in his view. Mm-hmm. And so he is now trying to talk to the giant's hand reactionary while trying to pray. Over the food. <laughs> and so he's twisting all these words like stop uh Satan and <laughs> it's like stop doing bad things and go away now. Satan. <laughs> Satan. Um, and just at the end of it, his mom's like, that was very unusual. Uh, <laughs> and so he's like I got to go do wash my hands or whatever it was. 
Um, and he goes out and he's trying to get this. Giant well, and then her whole cabinet just like falls down. No, no, she- that's that's not what got me. The the cabinet. No, because the, the like he's trying to sneak the hand out, but the mom yeah. keeps showing up. And then yeah. when he's seeing her at the mom's dinner table, was it gave me was a cabinet fell. What got me was he picked a penny out of his pocket, flicked it clear across the room, and it hit the shelf at just the right spot where you just where it just crashes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what exactly he did. I was like, what? <laughs> I want to learn how to do that. <laughs> uh, he is a great shot. Um, maybe maybe he would have been fine with the flashlight on the end of his uh, BB gun. <laughs> um, we never know. Maybe he could have curved the bullet around the flashlight. Uh, maybe he's just that Doing kind of guy. A wanted? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just curving the bullet. Okay. Anyway, he's trying to get this hand out of the house because this is just going to be trouble for him. He leads it to the front door, pushes it kind of to the side, opens the door, and who happens to be stand, standing there but Kent Mansley. He works for the government. Freaking guy. He works for the government. Slam. He, like, Hogarth slams the door in his face. Kent rings the doorbell a couple more times. He opens it up. And he's like, hey, Kent Mansley. I work with the government. Uh, is your mom around? <laughs> Say hi to your mom for me. <laughs> so the, you know, the mom comes over and, you know, she welcomes in the house. He's got to ask a few questions and, um, and so Hogarth is trying like, oh, he's got to use the phone. That's what it was. Cause he's investigating the whole train wreck thing. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, he kind of, well, cause there, there's is the nearest house and they just need, yeah, yeah, he needs yeah. to use the telephone. So he comes in. Uh, to use the telephone and Hogarth is off trying to get this giant out of the house leads him up the stairs to the ba- leads the hand up the stairs to the bathroom is trying to get him out the window and meanwhile Kent is calling his boss um, this three star general and uh, this <laughs> this guy is just like utterly skeptical of him he's like look you got if you don't have evidence like there's nothing I can do and you get the you get the sense really that like Kent is kind of the joke of this guy's yeah. career you know um, well, and that whole department, they probably just don't care about at all. They're yeah. just like, this is just a bunch of. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so Kent now like firmly believing that he's got like the big one is like trying desperately to convince this general that his boss that like this is worth his time. And eventually the general's like, you get me evidence and I'll, I'll maybe even be able to send some troops out over there or something and hangs up on Kent. And Kent has this moment where he's trying to put the phone up and the phone just keeps falling off the cradle. (laughs) And so eventually he just like explosively starts slamming the phone repeatedly on the cradle, screaming something. I still don't know exactly what he's screaming to this day, Um, but it's hilarious. And eventually he just cools off. Actually, I love it. At one point, the oven mitt has this like silly face on it, yeah, and it's yeah, looking yeah. at him, and he turns <laughs> it. <yeah. laughs> he's like, he's like, stop looking at I me. I don't need to be reminded of, <laughs> of what he thinks of me. Um, and so eventually, uh, you know, Hogarth and and uh, and his mom are trying to like push Kent out of the house, and as big commotion starts happening upstairs, and so Hogarth, you know, it's like I got to use the bathroom. Runs upstairs. And Kent's like, I got to see this. Oh, my gosh. So goes inside and like Hogarth is trying to push this hand out the window and he's making very indicative sounds <laughs> in the bathroom <laughs> as to how hard of a time he's having pushing things out. And <laughs> again, uh, yet again, this is an animated kids movie. So there's a lot of bathroom humor. <laughs> yeah. And so 
So like the, Kent makes a joke about, you know, this is why it's really important to chew your food and, and mom gives him this look and he just realizes that he's gone too far <laughs> he's just like looks away kind he, of went, ashamedly. he went too far when he asked if his mom was home let's yeah. be real um but yeah so eventually uh hogarth just in time gets this hand out the door there's a big slam his mom decides to like just open up the bathroom door at which point hogarth has hurriedly like actually taken his pants off and is sitting on the toilet and like screams out for some privacy. She mm. slams the door on Mansley's face. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I laughed so freaking hard. The hand, that was really funny. Yeah, the hand goes away, goes back to the giant, gets reconnected, and and meanwhile Mansley is kind of, you know, like leaving and and so uh he calls uh uh, uh, Hogarth's mom's name is Annie, and so you're like, you know, thank you, Annie, thank you, Hogarth, and Hogarth is like, it's Hogarth, and so Kent Mansley goes to the car, like making fun of Hogarth's name, which is why Nick, I told you not to to give the kid a harder time than he needed. <laughs> it's a ridiculous name. That's the one time where Mansley kind of had a point. <laughs> well, I actually need to look up if there's a particular significance to the name. But anyway, is, is Hogarth really just like the name Garth? Maybe. I don't know. Uh, but as he's driving away, he's like, you know, repeating this name to himself. And like the tongue animations are hilarious. because Hogarth, he's like sticking his tongue out <laughs> to make the TH sound. And and then he re- he sees the remains of Hogarth's rifle, which at this point had the letters H-O-G. Hog hug. Uh, H-U-G. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, ma- he connects the dots, realized it's Hogarth Hughes. And like turns around, gives the the rifle back to um, to Hogarth and his mom makes a comment about the fact that uh, Hogarth was commenting about this giant big metal man um, all the time. And she's like, I don't know why Hogarth's being so tight lipped about it now. And and so this piques mm. uh, Mansley's interest. And so we they kind of end the evening on that. Um, I, I do think one thing, like, just for some reason, I remember with the, the hand, like, when he finds it in the bathroom, it's just, like, playing with the toilet paper. Yeah. <laughs> I just that was, like, oh, that was so funny. <laughs> like, like a dog almost. Yeah. Like, you get the impression this hand really is basically just, like, a dog, like, messing around with things. Um, so, eventually, uh, Hogarth and the giant, I think it's, like, the next day. Or, no, it's that evening. They find uh, Dean's scrapyard. Uh, so Dean is actually a scrap. Oh yeah, because the 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 Iron Giant's really hungry, and they're trying to look for a place to. Yeah, they're trying to him. find food, mm-hmm. and so they find the scrapyard. And Hogarth's, Hogarth's like, "All right, go to town," and the giant just starts eating everything. He bites into this car, hits the car horn, and it just won't shut up. <laughs> and so he takes this car, and just launches it like three or four miles away. <laughs> Just like you get the like the Doppler effect of everything as it sails into the distance, um, but that wakes up Dean and uh, uh, Dean. Dean comes out to find Hogarth standing at his door, invites the kid in. They're chatting and and uh, eventually Dean gets some coffee. Uh, it's coffee oh, Zillow. No. Yeah, Hogarth. Oh like, no, Hogarth's like you know I'll take some coffee even though Dean offers him milk and. And Dean's like, it's coffee, it's it's espresso, it's like coffeezilla. And and Hogarth's just, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to do it right. It's like, I said I'm hip. 
like does the whole <laughs> pop and everything. Um, it's, it's just amazing, amazing line. And so Dean's just like, whatever, gives the kid some coffee. Worst mistake ever. Kid is talking his ear off into the night. Um, and Dean gives him the line because like Hogarth is talking about, you know, being around the other classmates and how they're bullying him. And mm-hmm. Dean's just like, look, you know, you are who you choose to be. Like, who cares about these other guys? Um, that's when the giant kind of makes too much of a scene and Dean finds him out. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and Hogarth lets the giant know that Dean is a friend to which the giant simply holds up Dean and goes, Dean, <laughs> <laughs> and, like scares the crap out of this guy. Um, but, I, I, I do find it interesting cause, uh, he has like a feng shui thing on the back of his yeah, robe. Yeah. And it just, it just really fits the kind of like. 90s hipster person. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, you're just who you choose to be, right? Mm-hmm. But I think this scene is great, like, right after, where he, he's, like, having nothing to do with them, and then it just says, 37 minutes later. <laughs> 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 and Hogarth is, like, just Hogarth talking. At his door, like, hey, look, there, he can't stay might as well have been one of those SpongeBob voiceovers. 37 minutes later. Yeah, just like sitting at his door like, look, he can't stay anywhere else. And eventually Dean's like, fine, one night he can stay here after that. I don't know. Um, and so Hogarth kind of kind of runs off. And um, so Mansley, it turns out the next morning, literally uh, Hogarth gets home right in time. He looks like he's he's about to pull the covers back on his bed and his mom opens the door and says, Hey, you know, I got breakfast downstairs. And, and so he just kind of like puts the bed sheets back. And he's like, I'm just making my bed. Just making my bed. Um, and he comes down and he finds Kent Mansley. He works for the government um, who is renting out the spare room in their house that uh, that his mom, that Hogarth's mom had mentioned earlier they would have to do to keep. Yeah, and there was like a little sign on his house. Yeah, that said room for rent. So um, I, I also have written so in, in this following scene because uh, Kent Mansley is continually interrogating uh, Hogarth of just all the different names that he calls. <laughs> so he started by calling him. Uh, Did you write down every name he called him? <laughs> yeah, he, he said, he said oh, you would. He said, "Hey there, Scout," and then he said, uh, "Buckaroo." <laughs> uh, who I have. Uh, a cowboy. He also called him... Uh, Listeners, I, when I keep saying this freaking guy, this is why. <laughs> yeah, just, just rattle off this list for us, buddy. I think it was just the, the four. Uh, I'm trying to... Th- Calls uh, him sports, doesn't he? Slugger. Slugger. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. Oh, good yeah. grief. And I'm just like, man, there's... A, He's like trying... Continually uses different nicknames. <laughs> this is like the ultimate uh, a long-form interrogation scene. Because Mansley is just like really trying to like get the info out of this kid. And man, Hogarth's butt must be chapped for how much Mansley's trying to kiss it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's go I mean, it is the government. I'm just saying. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying. That's yeah, a fair point. Yeah. But um, yeah, so eventually Hogarth is like, I'm going to go out. His mom's like, take Kent with you. Uh, show, show him the sights. <laughs> the sights. Oh, the sights. Uh, and so they go out to like this ice cream shop. 
and oh and uh, <laughs> Hogarth has shown him this trick where like with the vanilla sundae that you can like break up a chocolate bar over it and so he unknowingly to Mansley he breaks up a choco lax a laxative bar <laughs> on the top of his ice cream tosses it in the tosses it in the trash behind the table um, and he breaks up his own little candy bar that is actually a candy bar and so they're chatting and you really get the sense here. Kent kind of reveals just how paranoid he is mm-hmm. because he's talking to, to Hogarth about like the ugly reality of. Oh, you know, like yeah. He and he's yeah, no, he, longer, yeah. Yeah. no longer kiddo friendly, like cozy, cozy. Like he reveals that like he tries the intimidation tactic and mm-hmm. it's just comes across as like this paranoid wacko who is just like, you know, I'm I'm trying to ensure everyone's security and like if it's not ours, then it's a threat. And, you know, like all, all like basically trying to justify how intrusive he's being. And then kind of in the nick of time, uh, the laxative kicks in and he's got to go use the restroom. And literally, the, I love the way this scene is painted because you've got you're looking over Hogarth's shoulder. You see Mansley right there in his face. Mansley has to turn around and run to the bathroom. And almost as soon as he turns around, Hogarth is gone out the door. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Hogarth ditches him and runs back off to the scrapyard. Uh, meanwhile, while the, all of this was happening, the giant is at the scrapyard eating stuff. And Dean gets pissed because the giant is eating his artwork. Cause his, he, he was talking with somebody about like earlier in the movie where he was just like, some people see it as scrap, some, but I, I make it into art. I don't know if he's just talking to himself. Or okay. Bella Thor. <laughs> um, that's a Skyrim <laughs> reference. Uh, but yeah, he, he is also kind of like an artist. He takes a lot, all this junk and he likes to make art, like abstract art pieces out of it. Mm-hmm. And so at one point he, he goes up to the giant and he's like, look, you can eat the scrap. This is scrap. This stuff over here is art. And what you have in your mouth is art. And like the giant kind of like plucks it out and just go art. (laughs) Like starts to like try and reset it back Mm -hmm. to some like semblance of its original form. And and like Dean's just given up on it. And the giant like slams it back on the ground. He's like, oh, that's pretty good. (laughs) just, Just like that's. That's not bad. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so he sees that he can work with the giant to make more of his art. Yeah. So Hogarth yeah. comes back and like Dean's got this giant working as his his uh, his ghost artist um, and uh, as opposed to a ghost writer. And uh, <laughs> wah, wah. yeah, that didn't quite land. And so Dean's like, look, I'm actually making something useful here. What do you want to do? And Hogarth's like. I want to have a great time. And so he starts playing with the giant. It kind of ends with them um, at this lake where Hogarth is swimming. It's in the middle of fall, mind you, in Maine. (laughs) And he's in this freezing water. It is cold and, you know, he's not having a great time. But he did this big jump into the lake from this big rock outcropping. A cannonball. Yeah, a cannonball. It's, it's only for professionals. Right? Yes. For professionals only. <laughs> and he jumps into the lake and, and he's like, Dean, you got to do this. Come on in. The water's great. And the kid's like turning purple. Yeah. Like the water's <laughs> great. Shivering. No, it's not. Um, <laughs> Dean's like, no, you can you can have fun. We're just sits there reading his newspaper. Yeah. And he, like, uh, he t- like Hogarth tells the giant, like, come on in. And the giant just turns around and walks away. And Hogarth's like, wow, he's a wuss. 
<laughs> and then his eyes kind of widen and you start to hear the giant running towards the lake and he leaps over the lake in this giant cannonball and this sequence is just so amazing oh, as so he lands funny. in the water and there's this dramatic pause in the water and then just explosion <laughs> just just massive explosion of water remember that remember that raccoon i brought up earlier yeah i'm, I'm pretty sure this is where it yeah. came out to play. But, In, but I think the best part about it is there's this giant wave. Dean like puts his newspaper down, looks at it, and just like puts his newspaper back up. Like that's somehow gonna stop. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's just blown away. <laughs> just like ignorance is bliss. I don't want anything to do with this. <laughs> and in, in in the following shot, the water is just flooding the the land uh, near the the lake. And you see a couple of things float across screen, one of which, as Nick pointed out, was a raccoon uh, implied potentially to be the one from the start of the movie that was referenced. Um, and then Dean himself. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the sound bite. Just play that a couple times. Um, oh, man. I love this new soundboard. Um, but yeah, he, he Dean himself comes floating into frame, just kind of lands, and he happens to be in the middle of this road, and this this pig, this driver it's driving a, pig, a yeah, truck, it's a, it's a yeah, truck yeah, yeah. comes comes by, and he's just like, "Hey," and Dean kind of you know doesn't even look, and goes, "Yeah, you're right in the middle of the yeah." <laughs> the truck goes. Just, Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <Drives> away. <laughs> I, I think that has to be like my favorite scene of the whole movie. That, yeah, I definitely <laughs> remember that from when I saw it as a kid. Yeah, sure. That was that was something uh, that, that is that is like one of the top three funniest jokes in the whole movie. That is that is I think one of my family's most quoted uh, exchanges is just that <laughs> sequence right there. You, you, you don't do the whole like Coolsville? No. Population? <laughs> Not at all. Population it, us. It was it was also when but right before when Hogarth was jumping the lake, I just look at Seth and I'm just like, kids are weird. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah he was Hogarth was, was really like having some fun with well, this. And, and then they should like the last part of the scene is like they just show the iron giant and the pot the Pond the lake, the lake is half, half empty. empty. I thought it was just almost all empty. It was just like him and like a little puddle. <laughs> well, I mean, to the giant, it probably yeah. was a pedal anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and Dean's just like, I think that's enough fun for one day. Um, while they were at the lake, Mansley was doing some work, and he found Hogarth's camera, uh, and he's developing the photos, and he he, he uh, sees these photos of the giant, and it's the proof he needs that uh, the giant is real. And so, um, towards the end of the day, Hogarth and the giant find this deer in the forest. And it's this really beautiful kind of Bambi-esque moment. Of, I, I uh, really liked the scene. It showed, like, the contrast of, like, nature with the giant. Yeah, nature versus the giant and versus yeah. man, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so, they find the deer. And the deer hears something off in the woods and runs away. And, uh, you know, the Hogarth's kind of like, yeah, you know, it's... It's life. It's beautiful. And like they hear this this rifle shot and they find that the deer has been killed by some hunters and the hunters flee when they see the giant. Um, but uh, the giant kind of like doesn't understand what death is, uh, but it does recognize the gun. And you see for a moment that it kind of triggers a certain response uh, that Hogarth quickly kind of like interrupts 
unknowingly um and everything's kind of back to normal but the mm-hmm. this clearly troubles the giant and, and yeah. later that night uh they're kind of falling asleep in the scrapyard and um ogarth is kind of i in a way i feel like he's kind of talking through death for himself as much as for the giant oh so yeah yeah mm-hmm. he's kind of like musing and like talking to the giant about this and well well, I, I, okay, so my random theory of this movie is that uh, his dad died in World War II, because this takes place in the 50s, and that was in the 40s. Yeah. So, um, I, I at least think, like, because you see a picture later um, of him being by, his dad being by an airplane, him having the helmet and the glasses and the aviator jacket. But also, I feel like him telling this to Iron Giant may be repeating what his mom has told to him. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. I Yeah, I agree with that. And it's kind of like him coming to realize that in his own life with his dad. Well, and what his mom told him was that souls yeah. don't die. And since he, Hogarth, notices that the, the giant seems to think and seems to feel, and he's like, I think you have a soul, and, and souls don't die. Mm-hmm. Um, I got pretty emotional during that scene. Yeah. Like, I think, I think also like just even in our Catholic faith, that is such a crucial thing where our souls don't, our souls go to like, our souls don't die. Like when our bodies die, like our souls then go to heaven. Mm -hmm. So that, that really stood out that stood out to me in a big way yeah yeah in that sense it it's a very interesting parallel to what we believe about about the soul so hogarth leaves the giant for the night goes home and mansley interrogates him uh and finds out that the giant is uh is at the scrapyard uh mansley threatens all kinds of things honestly um you can he is not above any means necessary to get this information. And when he finally does get the information, he uh, drugs Hogarth and puts him to sleep. Um, Hogarth tries to escape, uh, but Mansley is there and watching him for the whole night, supposedly until Mansley (laughs) falls asleep, just like Hogarth did earlier, trying to find the giant Um, and Hogarth escapes. Uh, and he doesn't find out until the morning he wakes up and he's clued off by uh, Hogarth just kind of walking casually down the hall. He'd be like, hey, Kent. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. And Mansley's like, wait, what? And like goes over to the bed where Hogarth was clearly sleeping and finds out that the, the helmet has been uh, placed there with some pillows as like a, a decoy. Uh, I, I was just saying this kind of mimics the earlier scene where he puts the metal out and is trying to watch for the Iron Giant. And then the Iron Giant like approaches him after he falls asleep. Yeah. Kind of similar. <laughs> Even though completely different people. But Yep. Um, and so uh, he goes off to the scrapyard with the army. Um, they all do. Basically, with Hogarth and his mother both being involved in this, Mansley kind of drags them along with the army. Um, now that... Uh, Mansley has evidence they've called him the troops and they call him the general so they go to the scrapyard 
And Dean's like, yeah, man, it's my greatest work. And, you know, someone's already come in offering to buy it. And like, you know, if you guys are interested and you want to throw in a competing bid, (laughs) he's like, you know, I feel like, you know, it feels strange to separate me from my my child, you know, just after I've given birth, you know, and he's playing Mm -hmm. it off like the the sort of tortured artist kind of thing that he's got going on, which is, I think, amazing. He plays it off so well. And he walks the general and, and Kent into this this hangar where the giant is. But the giant's all dressed up like this piece of modern art. And um, and uh, Mansley is humiliated in front of his boss. And his boss, like, fires him on the spot, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, takes him outside, just screams at him for a couple of minutes. Well, because he wasted, like, millions of dollars. Yeah, basically wasted yeah. millions of dollars getting troops out here. And it's just like, you're done. I'll see you back in Washington to pack up your things later and drives off. Um, Mom leaves as well with the army to be dropped off back at the house and Hogarth and, and uh, Dean are there and the giant is, you know, like released like, okay, you can move now. And um, later on they're playing and they're trying to play superhero. This is actually an important point I missed in the plot, but earlier in the movie when the giant Mm -hmm. was in the barn, Hogarth brings him a bunch of comic books, including Mm -hmm. Superman. Yeah. Um, trying WB to teach and just placing that in there. Product yeah. placement. Yes. <laughs> no so definitely, definite product placement there. It was um, kind of weird how like all of the other like drawings and stuff, like the comics were just very different, like how they were drawn. Yeah. <laughs> it's very clearly super. <laughs> yep. Uh, and so they're playing later on after the whole army thing happens and uh, they're playing superhero. And so Superman or no, not Superman. The Iron Giant wants to play the part of Superman, and so he grabs his big metal S sign out from the scrap and like puts it on his chest. And Hogarth is like, "Okay, I'll be the villain." Takes his toy spark gun and starts to like shoot it at uh, Giant, and the Giant sees this weapon. And it triggers a defensive response, mm-hmm. and so he lights up his eyes and like almost fries Hogarth and Hogarth kind of like drops down behind this bus. Well, he didn't not, know because he dropped his gun yeah, and then he fell over it and then he shot where not he was. Knowing, yeah, not knowing that he just dodged an, an a literal bullet. Um, comes like Dean notices this and is just like, what the heck? Um, Hogarth jumps up again, like threatens the giant uh, and, uh, Dean saves him just in the in the nick of time. Yeah, and he becomes very protective of yeah, the kid. Like yeah. becomes very protective, shoes the giant away. So like, hey, like get out of here. You're a gun. Like you're mm-hmm. basically a walking, talking gun. But that didn't stick around for long, though. Um, yeah, because he leaves. Hogarth runs after the giant, and Dean is kind of left there. And he picks up Hogarth's toy gun, and he realizes that the giant is only acting defensively, and that it mm-hmm. simply didn't know better. And so he yep. chases after Hogarth, picks up Hogarth, and they run after the giant. Um, the giant is walking towards town. Two of these kids that are trying to see him from a distance almost fall to their deaths, and the giant saves them in the nick of time, effectively becoming Superman um, in a <laughs> yeah. way. And so he saves the boys, and Hogarth shows up and climbs into his hand, and he's talking to the giant. And this is where the mom kind of learns the like, yep. Her kid has been uh, gallivanting around with a big old robo man. Exactly. Yeah. And, and uh, then the army shows up and starts shooting at giant with with the kid in his hand, with Hogarth in his hand. And so the giant starts to run and Mansley convinces them to keep firing by 
saying that the boy has been killed by the giant. Mm hmm. Uh, when that was not at all what he was told. This freaking guy. Yeah. You get a sense now that like Mansley is just out to save his own butt. Yes. Um, it's an instinctive well, and, and, defensive and reaction. It, mm. It's also the big, big break for him. Like that there is actually this giant thing that came out of this guy. <laughs> yeah. But he, but, he's trying, he, he just is like, you got to kill this giant. It killed the kid, which is a blatant well, and lie. And I think he's also afraid of it. Yeah. No, he certainly sure. is. I think the uh, fear more so than trying to save his own job. Um, but uh, so the jets are coming after, they launch jets and they're coming after this uh, the, oh, There's the a whole part where he jumps off and he didn't like, he's like, I didn't know you could fly. <laughs> yeah. He takes off. Yeah. Yeah. So the giant like falls off a cliff and he's falling into the ocean and then like his, his feet light up and he flies. And so they have this dog fight in the air with the jets, um, with some maneuvers that definitely would have killed Hogarth. Um, <laughs> oh my it's gosh. an animated movie. It's an animated <laughs> movie. We'll forgive it. And then the giant gets shot down and, mm-hmm. uh, Kind of in the ensuing crash landing, he believes the giant believes that the that Hogarth is dead. Um, they're on the ground, and as he's kind of grieving over his young companion, the the army shoots at him again, and he goes bananas. That's putting it lightly. <laughs> it, it's definitely akin to like the the robot in. Uh, the Incredibles. Yeah. Like I feel like with the... He <laughs> snaps. Uh, the dent in his forehead, in his head, flattens out. Uh, his eyes go red, and he turns into this, like, War of the Worlds-esque, mm-hmm. like, this Annihilator was, tripod. This was bonkers. This is the part of the movie that, as a kid, I always just started like, Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Let's go! Um, just like the, the giant finally, like you just get to see the giant go unhinged and mm-hmm. he just starts destroying everything. Um, well not everything specifically well, like, all the tanks and yeah. the, you know, all the army stuff and like Mansley and the general and whatever driver in their Jeep are just like frantically running away, like driving away from this thing. Um, and so the giant is going off into town with the army um, fighting them and with some really like creative freaking weapons. Like there's, mm-hmm. there's like a cup, there's like a spark disc weapon in there that was just freaking. I don't like that it was, was the really one. I, cool. That yeah. is so he good. had some pretty cool weapons. He's right a creative there. weapon, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but as much as he's not trying to be a gun, yeah. <laughs> he's he, a really effective gun. <laughs> no, no, no. He was, a whole lot of guns. Yeah. A whole lot. <laughs> he of wasn't guns. just a gun. No, he wasn't a gun. He was a bunch of guns. What mm-hmm. kind of guns do you have? Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so Dean and Dean and Hogarth's mom pick Hogarth up and he's he's not uh, he's not dead, but he needs help. And so they they start driving towards town. They hit an army checkpoint. Um, and uh, at, at this particular point in time, the Mansley and his his boss are talking about options, and uh, the general's like, "We've thrown everything we can," and Kent suggests nuking the giant on their own soil, mm-hmm. um, leading the giant away from town, and then bombing the crap out of it with a nuke. Uh, and so the general's like, "Honestly, that's that might be our best shot." And so he he orders the preparations on the the nearby uh, first response subs. 
um, part of the nuclear triad for the U.S. And he uh, and they're so so they're getting that ready. And the giant is marching out towards the sea because now the ocean based artillery is is hitting the giant and he is not happy. Um, so the, so meanwhile, Hogarth and company get to town. They're stopped by this army checkpoint and Hogarth sneaks away from the group of people to run into town. And he stops the giant from going on this rampage. The giant was launching what looks like his main weapon, Mm -hmm. um, which is this big chest mounted like cannon. And he note like Hogarth gets his intent attention in time for him to turn uh, miss like like misfire his attack off into the horizon away from everyone else and just explode in this giant glowing orb. It's just like, oh, you gotta crap. wonder what that what that like actually does. Yeah, that thing looked freaky. I mean, one of his weapons did like when it hit a tank, it like turned into a big orb and then like imploded it. Yeah, mm-hmm. just made the tank go uh, disappear. It was wild. <laughs> yeah. It was wild. Yeah, and so Hogarth gets the giant, um, sort of like reminds the giants. That he can choose who he wants to be. That was, I think that was one of the biggest messages of the whole movie is you are who you choose to be. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so the giant recognizes him, stands down, uh, and then they walk back towards the army together uh, with Hogarth in the, in the giant's hand. And you now have two people trying to convince the general of what to do. Dean is, no, is trying to tell him, like, it's only defensive. If you don't shoot it, it's not going to shoot back. The giant will not shoot back. And Mansley's like, we just got to take this thing out. That's all we mm-hmm. can do. Yeah. From earlier, he was like, if we didn't build it, we want to blow it up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kent just wants to blow it up. Yeah. And in this part, I, I just have to say it. This freaking guy. <laughs> <laughs> this buckaroo. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. <laughs> yeah. He, he's not a cool guy. Um, you idiot, Mansley. And yeah, well, he, he's choosing to be a coward. He's choosing to be a, a coward. The his his last name Mansley sounds especially like Manly is kind of ironic. Um, and so he well, and Kent like Clark Kent, right? He's being the opposite of Superman. That's oh, a, I didn't even catch that. That's a good point. Um, and so uh, the general sides with Dean. Uh, does not give the order to fire the nuke, and uh, he tells everyone to stand down. And so the giant is kosher, like everything's good. Um, and then uh, and the movie ends. And the oh, movie ends. <laughs> Credits roll. No. no. Uh, Mansley, <laughs> Mansley grabs the general's radio out of his hand and screams for them to fire the missile now. And uh, which the general had prepped, you know, kind of saying like, wait for my command. And it's now coming through the general's radio. Um, and so insubordination first of all Mm -hmm. second of all creating an international incident um but the missiles launched and the general makes a point of like that missile was targeted on the location of the giant where's the giant mansley (laughs) i i laughed out loud as i was i just think this dude is an idiot well i think really in some ways true um, I know that that's kind of as an exaggeration, but actually legitimately true because he notices where the giant is and says, well, we can duck and cover. There's a fallout shelter like <laughs> over there. And, and the general's like, 
you don't understand. We're not surviving this. There's no way. And so you, this is where I kind of, I now sort of understand at least Kent's background a little bit. You can kind of think of him as being brainwashed in a way mm. by paranoia, by fear, by his job, by sort of like the, the geopolitical situation of the Cold War. defensive reaction. Yeah, he's like, just like the Iron Giant, but. Yeah, he is being defensive, but in ways that are utterly destructive. Um, and so he, you get the sense that he's just a freaking coward. And so he, he's like, screw my country. I want to live. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Which is an amazing quote. Um, <laughs> he jumps in the Jeep, tries to drive away and the giant's like, nah, and just like, <laughs> not the day. <laughs> just like commits, you know, vehicular, almost vehicular homicide. Um, and stops the Jeep and, and Mansley gets a guard on him. And the general's like, you know, you're going to stay here like a good soldier. <laughs> um, and the giant kind of realizing that the only way to stop the missile is for him to fly up and meet it and to save the town. Uh, he tells Hogarth, he echoes what Hogarth was trying to tell him at the start of the movie, which was I go, you stay. Mm-hmm. Um, and the giant Launches as he steps away to launch off into the sky. Hogarth says, "I love you," um, which actually that hit me pretty hard because yeah. I didn't pick mm. up on that as a kid. Like the significance of that of that line. It's a really emotional moment. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is like this is probably one of Hogarth's only friends he's ever had in a sense. This giant, even though he's only spent a couple of days with him, and uh, this giant is is like a family member to him. Um, and so he he really feels like he's experiencing the death of a loved one. And this is probably after, as you pointed out, John, you know, his dad uh, died when he was young. Um, so yeah, it's really heartbreaking. The giant flies off into the sky. Cause like the sirens are going off in the town that this nuke is going to hit. Um, but uh, yeah, he giant goes up, meets the missile explodes in this big, big fireball in the sky. Um, and it's a really sad mm. moment. Um, also the giant in his final moments closes his eyes and, and says Superman. That was so good. <laughs> and it's a good moment. Yeah, ultimately he chose to be, uh, to be good. Well, uh, it's also interesting in the sense of the iron giant is loving them as well mm-hmm. by sacrificing like that. Even in this kids movie, like love is sacrifice. Yeah, and it really is. Uh, it, love is is kind of a self as a sacrificing act. Um, so the giant saves the town, and everyone is obviously pretty, you know, trying to process what they just experienced. Hogarth is heartbroken. A um, couple months later, uh, Dean and Hogarth's mom are clearly together. Which I ship. <laughs> I ship this. I prove this ship. Um, Way better than with Kent. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, but yeah, so they're they're together. They're kind of cool. Dean is looking crisp. Um, <laughs> he's looking fresh. He's got a new shirt. He's got you know. I think he still had the salt patch though. I yeah. honestly, it worked for him. Um, that, that's gonna be a a, a rough <laughs> an artist and a waitress. Yeah, <laughs> that'll be interesting. Things have happened in this yeah. world. I mean, it's presumed that uh, 
he that she it seems like she owns the house yeah so i don't think that it's just an issue of like paying bills and getting the food on the table but anyway um they're they're making it work and uh i love how at the end of this movie there's kind of there's kind of been this i mentioned the subtle plot line going through of hogarth kind of being bullied by the other classmates mm-hmm. and he's just kind of hanging out with them all and oh yeah, and he, yeah. they all kind of like pile on top of each other and i love he's like walking <laughs> like see you later guys and just see this hand stick out and wave back and i'm like see you later hogarth oh that's <laughs> great. just from the pile of people just fantastic yeah. <laughs> bye um, buddy hope you find your dad <laughs> as i quote nick here kids are weird uh, <laughs> And so Dean gives Hogarth this package from the general, and it is a screw from the jaw of the of the Iron Giant. It was the only recovered piece that they have of the giant, which we all know in all reality would have been sent to Area 51 and locked uh, in a warehouse. Which goes to show is in Roswell, whereas this movie takes place in Rockwell. Rockwell. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, I didn't pick up on that. Um I, actually, <laughs> actually, that's new to me too. What? I didn't even think about that. <laughs> I was going to mention it earlier, but I was just like, "That's really that's interesting." A good that's point. only off by like two hours. Yeah, um, but later that night, Hogarth is is sleeping. Uh, they have, by the way, they have this statue to the giant in front of the school, and mm. the statue includes Hogarth standing in the hand of the giant, which is yeah, a really that, that was neat. made by Dean. It was made was by yeah. Dean, um, which uh, Hogarth's mom notes is his finest work yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you can tell that like she's kind of just like appeasing him in a sense because he starts talking about some of his other work and she's just like hey, like <laughs> kind of dodgy <laughs> about the topic and yeah uh, but later that night Hogarth is sleeping and he hears a sound the box is empty and on his windowsill there the screw is there flashing a blue light kind of like tapping at the window and uh, which is uh, familiar. Uh, from earlier in the movie and so Hogarth opens up the window and allows the screw to roll out onto the roof and onto the grass and away and it the ca- uh, the camera sort of like does the zoom like zoom across the train and fades into Iceland um, where it passes up all of these different parts that are crawling back towards where the camera is going and the camera slows to a stop in front of the head of the giant uh, which opens its eyes and smiles and big musical crescendo cut to black, the mm. iron giant, man, that was such, that's such a good ending. It was amazing. And I'm glad it will hopefully never get a sequel. Well, because I'm, it yeah, bombs so honest, much is probably honestly, the, the, that's the, what the, I was the, thinking. I was like, I hope this never gets a sequel. Well, well you know what the sequel is? He shows back up in Ready Player One. Oh. Oh. <laughs> we don't talk You're about right. Ready Player One. I don't know. Anyway. I liked that movie. I read the book. Oh. Ah. Uh, anyway, movies. I read it before okay. it was cool. Um, <laughs> okay, hipster. <laughs> I said I'm hip. I can't do it that time. A hip. A hipster. Meow. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, I, I, I think we ran a little long on this one, too. We did. But. We did. Surprisingly, it is only in like a 90-minute film, around <laughs> 80 minutes when you take the credits out. Yeah. Um, it's a shorter movie, and I think that that was really apparent as an adult. Mm-hmm. It flies through plot points, man. And you get the sense, it, like, it, it makes sense that this only takes place over a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a fantastic movie, and it's aged yes. very well. 
I think. The animation but, holds up really well for being like 2D. Yeah. There's I, some very good stuff in there. As much as like Pixar has been doing well with like the 3D animated stuff, I, I just, I miss the old 2D animated stuff of just like seeing mm-hmm. actual like hand paintings and. Honestly, the, you get a lot of the good stuff in the indie scene nowadays for like 2D animation. Oh, um, I believe that. Yeah, you can find some really great stuff out there. A lot of really good 3D animation as well. Um, but like the indie scene will will keep a lot of these mediums alive. Um, and so there's there's definitely some good stuff to be had. I, I can't point out any specific suggestions at the moment. Um, but yeah, I would I would say there's there's definitely still a place for it. Um, and I know there have been some movies, I can't remember exactly which ones, that have done a really good job of combining 2D and 3D. Um, in fact, Hercules, which is a pretty classic Disney mm-hmm. animated film, uh, the Hydra characters, oh my yeah, gosh. Yeah, definitely. which is notable because it made it terrifying. Like the mm-hmm. the the very like weirdly smooth. The animation uh, was yeah. noticeably different Ooh, in that movie. It made it, they used it very effectively there because that thing looked freaky. Um, but yeah, this, this film is, is gorgeous. Like with the environments in particular. Um, and so, yeah, just a fantastic movie holds up. 11 out of 10 recommend. Well. Yeah. 11 out of 10. If you haven't seen this movie, um, go watch it. It's really, it's really fantastic. You probably know some friend who has seen it before. Um, and so I would, I would encourage I mean, you to go watch three it. of them are talking about it right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so what more do you need? We're, we're recommending it. So, yeah. yeah. All right. So, uh, thanks for joining us today, guys. Uh, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on, you know, whatever podcast platform you're listening to. Um, so you can be up to date on all our new content. Um, I mean, you'll probably find us on most podcasting platforms. So, um, so if you would like us to discuss a specific movie in our podcast, if you have an episode idea that we may not necessarily talk about a movie, but like might be related to movies. Uh, if you know one of us personally, if you want to come and hang out with us, if you want to give us feedback and suggestions in general, or if you just need us to pray for you for any reason, please send us an email at geniusiuspodcast at gmail.com. That's G-E-N-E-S-I-U-S podcast at gmail.com. And make sure to rate and review our podcasts on whatever platform you listen to us on. I know you can do that on Spotify and Apple. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure there are other platforms where you can where you can rate and review us, but please make sure and go and do that. Um, our, your feedback is very important. Yeah, we've got we've had some incredible discussions with people who listen to the podcast and we're super happy that that all of you do. Um, yeah, so we really we really appreciate we appreciate that you listen and we appreciate the feedback that you give us like this still a pretty young podcast. We would we would love it to grow in a way that keeps bringing in listeners and help hopefully helps you bring you that much closer to Christ because that is one of our missions here on Genesius. Yeah. Uh, particularly with, um, I think as we, we start to do some more of these, uh, religiously themed movies and, um, we'd, we'd love to actually look at a couple more of those at some point we're going to have to do passion of the Christ. I'd, mm-hmm. I'd say around Easter, probably around Easter. Oh, oh yeah. Good Friday. Sense. Um, but also yeah. if we grow the podcast enough, maybe we can start doing video. So we have been talking about we that. We have been yeah. talking about doing video. Um, I, th- I think especially with our new studio, like I think it's possible. It's very possible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, are there any prayer intentions 
before we close out in prayer. Just a prayer of thankfulness for the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Oh, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. That was, oh, that praise be to God. It, like, I mean, it doesn't abolish abortion from the U.S. completely, but it is a huge step in the right direction. Yeah, I'm still processing that, actually. Yeah, it's yeah, I'd also so do a, a shout out for my new godson who just got baptized this last weekend. Hey, hey. congrats. Congrats. Yeah. So, yeah, those prayer intentions. With that, let's close out in prayer. John, would you like to lead us? Yeah, yeah. I can. In the name of the Father, Father Son, Son, and Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Uh, thank you for this time that we've had together. Um, help us to not be a product of our past, but to work towards you and to... Not be defensive, but to see people the way that they, that you intend us to see them, and bringing this to your, your mother, Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Thank you, John, for leading us in prayer. Uh, thank you, Seth and John, for joining me today and to those of you who are listening and tuning in thanks for listening to us thanks for joining us hanging out with us today um uh have a great week everyone uh we're your host i'm nick filling in for kyle i am seth and i'm john and this is the genesius podcast god bless everyone (laughs) (laughs) i had to do it to him (laughs) Uh.